This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, welcome everybody. First of all, I'd like to welcome, uh, well, I'd like to thank, first of all, Eitz Chaim Congregation for letting us, uh, um, inviting us over here, and also we'd like to welcome all our Torah Anytime listeners and viewers. Tonight, we're going to be speaking about, B'zal Hashem, the, the Chag of Sukkot. Sukkot, there's a lot of different aspects of it that we're going to try to uh, bring clarity to. Number one, it says that, that Sukkot is Chag Simchatenu, which means it's, it's a time of our happiness. So if you have, we have a bunch of different months, a bunch, I'm sorry, a bunch of different holidays. The holiday of Sukkot is known for a holiday of happiness. Now, the, the obvious question is, is what does this have to do with, ho- with happiness over any other holidays that we had? We had Purim, for example. Wouldn't Purim be a better idea for holiday? We got saved physically. And if you want to say, okay, no, maybe not. What about Hanukkah? Hanukkah, we got saved spiritually. Let that be our ha- Or you could say Pesach. Pesach is a time where we got freed from slavery. That's a time for be happy. Shavuot, we got the Torah. Why is it specifically the holiday of Sukkot that we are feeling the, um, the, the, the Zman Simchatenu? What, what, what does this have to do with happiness? Uh, another another um, thing is, it, it's a very interesting mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that um, I, I've heard somebody, I forgot who it was, or I, to be honest, I might have said it myself and don't remember, and I think somebody else said it, but I, to call it the Kuchi Kuchi Ku mitzvah, which means is, what? you know, yeah. It's, it's like a mitzvah. What happens if you're in a sukkah and it's raining? Oh, no problem. You could go inside, you don't have to eat a sukkah. What happens if it's so hot that you can't stand in it, like really boiling, boiling hot? You don't have to go inside. Yeah. It's so, you, if you're, if you're, if you're in, in pain and agony and you're not, allowed, you're not able to sit there, you're, you're patu from the sukkah. That's why rain, you're, you're patu. Freezing over here doesn't count, though, the freezing. I'm talking about, like, like you know, people sit with coats in the, I remember when I was younger, I used to sit with coats in the sukkah so before global warming. Global warming. What? <laughs> Freezing doesn't count, but boiling. In a sense. I mean, listen, if it's 40 degrees before, under, below, you can't, you're not going to go, um, you know, if you live in Alaska, whatever, wherever it is now, at 40 degrees, you can't physically live in the, in the sukkah. Mm-hmm. So, the, the question is, is what, there's no other mitzvah where it's like, oh, it's too hot, it's, it's too uncomfortable, don't worry about it. It's like, imagine like a guy wakes up in the morning and be like, Oh, it's so cold outside. I don't want to go to Davin. I don't want to go to pray. I'll be like, oh, it's, you're too cold. It's okay. Don't worry about it. A girl comes out and be like, you know, it's 120 degrees and she's like in Arizona in the middle of winter, in the middle of the summer. And she's like, you know what? It's so hot. I can't wear it. I can't beat snoot. It's too hot. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's like, where, where is this coming to Judaism? We'll be like, oh, don't worry about it. You're not comfortable in the sukkah? Don't worry about it. Just, just, you know, no, no problem. It's a very odd, it's a very odd thing that's not connected to Judaism. Everything in Judaism you have to do regardless of how it is. If it's harder than you or if it's easy than you. Come sukkah and be like, ah, don't worry about it. You're okay whichever way you are. So, um, and obviously you have to speak to a rabbi. I don't want to get, people don't be like, oh, there's a mosquito here. I'm done. I'm inside. Right? You, you can't just, uh, you know, announce on yourself on where, where you actually think, uh, you don't, uh, you, the, the mitzvah sukkah does not apply to you. So, and then other question that I want to also come is, uh, to speak about is at the end of Sukkot, we do Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah is a time where we dance with the Torah, which we're, we're thanking God that we got the Torah. The obvious question is, is that what is it doing over here? We got the Torah back in Shavuot. Why do we dance over there? Why are we waiting all the way till Sukkot, till the end of Sukkot, to actually go and dance with the Torah? So we'll try to answer those questions in the first part of the Shiul, Bezat Shem. Okay, so now... One of the reasons that we go to Sukkot, uh, we, go, we use a Sukkah on Sukkot, is because of the Sukkot that Yaakov did for his for his animals. He built them these sort of tents. So we also go into so, into these types of tents. And it says in Yaakov, he made permanent, he made a permanent dwelling place, and he made a temporary dwelling place. His permanent dwelling place was the Talmud Yonasan explains that it was the Bet Midash, which means is he used 
the, his money for the right things. He saw what it was really worth. He, he invested in permanent structure. That was his Beth Midrash. That's where he learned Torah. That's where he prayed. That's where he did all these things. His, the, for his temporary possessions, which things that stay only a short period of time, his animals, his other things that he had, was the temporary huts. So that's why we are also, one of the reasons why we go into Sukkot because of that. Now obviously we'll explain that. The, there was once a wealthy person who came over to the Chafetz Chaim and he said to the Chafetz Chaim, the Chafetz Chaim lived beer, beer minimum. I don't know if you ever, yeah, you look at, um, I should have brought this picture. I have a picture in my house of Rabbi Steinman. Rabbi Steinman is one of the holiest, holiest, biggest rabbis. In the, his, he has like money coming in through his hands, like hundreds, like millions and millions of dollars that people give him money to give it to charity. You see how this guy lives? The simplest of the simple. I saw, I have a picture in my house. I always save it up to put it in my sukkah. It's a picture of him sitting on a mattress, an Israeli mattress, by the way, there's no coils, right? Israeli mattress, you could literally cut it out and use it as a sponge. And then you could put it back in, it would look exactly the same. Not it, they're very comfortable. They're pretty good. <laughs> they're really good. So, no springs, but they're awesome. They're, it's, it's literally like a sponge. You could squeeze it and it's about this thick. At least that's when I was there. And you see over there, he's sitting in his bed. He's recording his shoe. And he, he's sitting on this, like, his thin mattress, and his back is like this wooden chair that's laying down on his bed to support his back. He's not even sitting, sitting on his bed against a wooden chair, being recorded for Shuotuah. And this is a guy who has millions and millions of dollars go through his hand for, for charity. People have come and be like, okay, let's, let's fix this place, fix this place up. And he's like, no, 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 why are we fixing anything up? This is, uh, so the, somebody came to the Chavetz Chaim, Chavetz Chaim also lived very, very simple. And they said, you know, Rabbi, where's all your furniture? So the rabbi goes back to this wealthy person. He's, he's like, where's all your furniture? And he's like, in my house. I am here visiting. I'm, I'm touring. I'm, I'm you know, traveling. I don't take my furniture when I travel. So the Chafetz Chaim answered back. He says, I'm also traveling. He says, I have furniture in the next world. I'm depositing furniture all the time in the next world. And when I get there, I'll have a very, very big mansion. He says, this whole world is temporary. Well, I'm going to start building all these things and fancy things. By the end of the day, 70, 80 years, 100 years, you're done. It's all temporary. So the, the one thing that we learned from the Sukkah over here, and if you look at is that life is temporary. Life is temporary. We literally go out of our physical home, we go into our temporary home to put us in our mind, just like Yaakov Avinu had a temporary home for his possessions, so too we are going into our temporary home to realize that this life is temporary. If you have this mindset that you're thinking that this life is temporary, then you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. Bad things happen. All right, what's the big deal? It's all temporary. It's seven days we're here. Seven days we're back inside. It's not the, this is not, so, you know, it doesn't, you still got something false. You're not going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. I have to call the contractor now. I have to call this. I have, no, it's seven days. You come out. You, you're finished with it. If you're thinking about, about that, about life, life becomes so much happier. Your things go so much easier. Be like, all right, it's not such a problem. Don't sweat the small stuff. Comes to court and says, leave. This world is temporary. That's number one. Number two is also, it shows you emunah. Literally, you go outside and you live in a tent for seven days. What's what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to sleep in the tent, eat in the tent, do everything in the, in the tent, the sukkah. So do everything in that. This also brings you to emunah, show, knowing that everything comes from God. So this is another thing. Once you have, once you know that everything comes from God, once you know that everything is temporary, you'll live a happier life. You'll live, your, your life will be much easier, much happier. Now this, we see over here that the goal of here is to be happy for where you are. When are you happy when you are? When you realize that everything is temporary. Comes, comes the, the Torah and says, let's say it's raining, it's cold, whatever it is, you're not allowed to be there. If you're going to be in the sukkah and you're not happy, that means you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point of the whole point of the sukkah is to be happy in the sukkah. You have to be happy over here. If you're missing the whole point, go inside, you're missing it. Now, I'm not poskening. If someone's not happy, you should go inside. I don't want to get anybody the wrong idea. But... The idea is the idea is to be happy. And that's why wherever you are, you're supposed to be happy. You're on the road. You can't be in the sukkah, so you can't do it. So, so you're, not, you're not fulfilling the mitzvah. 
So that's what Sukkot is telling you. Sukkot is telling you that this world is a temporary world. This is what, there was once a story, there was a big rabbi who, uh, he, he went and he, uh, um, he, he had a student that was very sick and was about to pass away. And the student had nine daughters. The student goes over to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, can you do me a favor? I have nine daughters. Can you marry them all for me? And that's not like, you know, like, all right, I'll do that next Tuesday. You know, it's like a lifelong mission. So the rabbi says, uh, fine, you know what? I'll do it. I will, um, I'll marry them off, but I have one condition. He says, when you get into the next world, I have a bunch of questions of what's going on in this world, right? Things are, the Jews are having a very hard time, and things are going very hard. Can you please, I'm gonna, here's a list of my questions. When you get up to the next world, come back to me and tell me all the, uh, all the answers. So the student said, fine, no problem, you have a deal. So the rabbi goes, and he, um, he goes, and he, uh, goes, and he starts, and he marries off one daughter, two daughters, three daughters. He marries off at the end all nine daughters. Not coming to his dream, not coming to him, wants to give him anything. Finally, after he married his ninth daughter, he comes over to him and he says, uh, into the dream, he says, hey, listen, um, you know, Rabbi, I want to thank you very much for all the, the work that you've done, that you married off all my nine daughters. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. So the rabbi says, listen, I held up my end of the deal. I married off your daughters. Where's my answer? It's all my questions. So the guy, so the, the student tells the rabbi, he says, what can I tell you, Rabbi? He says, down here in this world, you don't have any answers. Up here in our world, we don't have any questions. Your questions that you gave me are not even questions. I don't even know how to answer it. It's, not, it's obvious why everything has happened. It's obvious why these bad things are specifically happening to these people. Everything makes perfect sense over here. It's not even, it's not even a, a question up here. But you, you don't have the answers. Somebody asked me a very interesting question today. Um, she, uh, she sent me a, a, a question and she said, you know, how is it, you know, there's some people that, that die such brutal deaths, beheading, you know, uh, torture. Is there anything that we can do to prevent, first of all, she asked, why does this happen? Is it for a reason? And number two, is there anything that we can do to prevent, God forbid, to get that, that type of, uh, of situation? What uh, you know, beheading, like a brutal death. Oh. Uh, um, so, so I said, first of all, number one, everything happens for a reason. Not always do we know the reasons. And many times we don't know the reason, but everything for sure happens for a reason. It could be in this life, it could be a reason for this lifetime, it could be a reason for a previous lifetime. It could be something totally, but one thing we know for sure, there's a reason for everything. Now, to say what you can do to prevent it, that I can't tell you. But there's one thing that you can do, and that's always very simple. You do tshuva, you come back to God, you do what you're supposed to do, and then things will happen the way that it's supposed to, that, that, it's, that it should happen. But we have to know that every, there's a reason for everything. Now, there is a, um, a very interesting... So that is why we're going to be happy in a physical sense, right? Why are we happy in a physical sense? Because you know the physical world is a temporary world, just like the sukkah is a temporary world, a temporary uh, abode. Just so too our life is a temporary world. Now we're going to up to, to next, uh, the next level. Next level is, is more of the spiritual side. The Benish Chai, the Benish Chai Agada on Pesach brings down a, a very interesting. Uh, he brings a, the most amazing uh, parables, Mishalim. So he go, he brings this amazing uh, Mashal parable, and he says like this. And he says, "Yeah." Uh, where did they come from originally? Like, they make it up themselves? Yeah, they could make it up, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's like a story that you could learn something from out of it. Oh, so Mishanim aren't, aren't like from Rokhakodesh? No, not necessarily. Um, there, but there are, there are, if you want to say there are certain, you know, Svarim that were written in the Rokhakodesh and it's all based on the Mashal and things like that. But in general, when the, when you have the now, you know, the later days. Midrashim. Midrashim, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a Torah. That's Torah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, Mishalim is just like a story, a parable that's, that comes out to learn uh, uh, an Mishal, a, a lesson, friend. So now that you have a, um, so listen to this. So there was once a, there was once a person who was 
a man who was handsome, had the money, had everything going for him. He had everything. He was an amazing personality, amazing business, amazing, amazing in all aspects. And he ended up marrying an amazing woman. And their life was just amazing. And then they woke up. No, I'm just kidding. So, uh, and, uh, but what happened was they got married. And then he finds out, you know, it was unfortunate, but he found out that his, his, his new wife was suffering from emotional illnesses. And she got into these, these manic depressive modes where she would get really, really depressed. And so, and she was so depressed, she was a danger not only to herself, but also to people around her. So he had to go and he had to, you know, a few months after the wedding, he had to start sleeping in a different room and lock the room. So that he, she doesn't do anything to him, or she doesn't do, you know, or, or whatever, uh, or God forbid, do anything to her and him. So one morning he wakes up, and to his horror, she committed suicide. She committed suicide, and and you know the cops are swarming the place. And what do they think? They see a guy over here, a good-looking guy and a good-looking girl, and he says, you know what? Must be that he killed her. So you know what? They could, they put him in jail. They 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 locked him up, put him in jail. And this guy's sitting in jail, and he's and he's sitting over there. He's like, you, you know, like how, how do I prove it that I didn't do anything? He's like, she, she was crazy. I, you know, there was nothing I could do. I had to. This is in time when there was kings and princesses. This is not the democracy. Yeah. So. Uh, so he goes and he says, uh, and he's sitting in jail. He doesn't know what to do. And he goes in, a, a, a few weeks go by, and suddenly the, the, the king sends him a pro, uh, proposition. And he says, and, and tells him like this, listen. He says, you could come out of jail if and only if you marry my daughter, my, the princess. So, the guy, you know, or you could sit and ride in jail for the rest of your life. So he's like, it doesn't seem like much of an ultimatum to me. You know, I, I, I guess I'll marry the princess. But then he's like thinking, he's like, wait a minute, what's wrong with this person? She must be like a cripple. She must be like, you know, some deformed or whatever it is. Who knows what I'm, what I'm getting into? And he says, but what other choice do I have? Sitting around in jail. So he says, fine, you know what? I'll, I'll go, I'll marry the princess. He goes and they, they dress him up and they bring him straight to the, you know, the Shiduchim back then. It wasn't the, let's meet, let's see if you get it. It's not a get along. You guys are getting married. That's it. They get married right away straight to the chupa. They go into the they go into the wedding and he looks at his bride to be and he's like and he's inspecting her he's like where is her deformities and she sees she's a very pretty girl and he's like he's like uh oh you know so it's like now he's like maybe there's something he says and then my worst case scenario is that not only is she, she'll look good outside but she has the same issue as my last wife which means she has some sort of illness inside and he looks and he can't find anything she had good midot she had uh, you know she was beautiful she had good manners she had uh, you know very refined very educated and he's like that's it my worst nightmare it's it's you know marriage number one all over again she's probably crazy in the head and that's what I have to deal with so he goes and they get married they get married and the next night they uh, the next morning she wakes up and she brings her new groom her new her new husband you know a nice fresh cup of coffee he takes the coffee he looks at it and he does Spills it right on the floor. She doesn't say a word like a good wife. She takes it. I'm go joking. He, she takes it and she um, and she she says, okay, maybe he saw a speck of dirt in it or something. Let me go and she filled him up a new cup of, of coffee. He takes the coffee from her again and this time throws it on the floor, shatters it all into things. Well, <laughs> so like a good wife, she goes and she cleans it up without saying a word and she sweeps it she sweeps it up she sweeps everything and she says okay maybe let me take coffee from my father's table the king's table the best coffee in town so he goes she goes to the to the to the king's coffee um, and she pours him a nice cup of nice steaming fresh brewed coffee and she brings it over to him and he takes the coffee he looks at it and he spills it all over her dress and she's not saying a word she just leaves and this whole time this maid is looking at the maid of the king is, of the, is looking it's like I can't deal with this this guy just came out of prison and now look what he's doing to the daughter she says that's it I have enough I'm going straight to the I'm going straight to the um, to the to the king so she says so she says uh, um, so she says she goes to the king and she says listen you know he 
this is what he did. So the king says, he, after all that I did to him, he just, that's how he treated my daughter, bring him in. They bring him in and the king says, listen, says, what do you think your punishment should be? He's like, this is a chutzpah. What are you doing over here? I give you everything. I take you out. I put you into my home. Make you my son-in-law. And this is how you repay my daughter. This is what you're doing. So the guy said, listen, he says, my, my dear king and my father-in-law, he says, please hear me out. After you hear me out, you can decide if you want to punish me or not. He says, when you came and you told me that you, that I have to marry this, your, your daughter in order to get out of prison, I figured there must be something wrong with her. Why else? There was no nobleman. There was no, there's no prince. And there was no, there were no people that, that knights in shining armor that could have taken her. You had to go get a guy in prison like me. Must be there was something wrong with her and that's why you have to come with me. So I said, I want to know what I was dealing with. I saw that she was very beautiful, very refined, very educated, you know, with, with amazing character traits. I was like, okay, my worst case scenario is that she's sick, something is emotionally inside. So I saw, I wanted to see what her, her issues were. And I tried to, I tried to get her angry. I tried to get her upset. But I saw that she couldn't. So now, my dear king, I have one request of you. He says, when you threw me a party, I didn't enjoy from it. I was nervous the whole time. I was looking about what dealing, what issue am I going to deal with. But now that I see that you really gave me a perfect specimen of a human being, a perfect, perfect bride, he says, I ask you just one request. Can you, can you, can we throw another party? And this time, you know, I'll be able to actually enjoy in this party because I know that I got an amazing, amazing bride. The king was very happy with the answer, and he says, you got it. And they threw out this, this, uh, thing, this, uh, this beautiful banquet. Comes, the, comes God, this is the Nimshad, comes God, we're in Egypt. Picture the scenario, we're in Egypt, a bunch of slaves to a bunch of people who are not good people, right? They're, they're, they, uh, um, what do they do? They magic, they are immoral, they have all the sins. It says that not only that, is that we sank to the bottom, we were on the 49th level of impurity. Comes all of a sudden, God sends Moses, and Moses comes to us and say, hey guys, listen, God decides that you are going to be the chosen nation, and you are going to get the Torah. So everyone's going to be like, what's wrong with this? It's like, why are you bringing it to us? We're the slaves. We're impure. We're on the 49th level. We're so, we're so bad. Why, why, there must be something wrong with it if you're bringing it to us. Says the Ben Ishchai. So now the, the, the whole time the Jews are thinking, okay, what's, what's going on over here? Something is wrong with this Torah. Why is it that we're, we're getting us? That he's, that it's only coming to us. Why didn't it come to one of the big nations? So comes the, the, they were very scared. Why were they scared? They said, listen, this Torah is like fire. If you mess up, you probably get burnt and that's it, you're destroyed. Who knows if before long, we'll just get destroyed completely, completely with all our sins. So, but they said, listen, what ultimatum do we have? Let's get married. So they go and they get married. They, we, we, we get the Torah, comes Shavuot. But then comes the Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf. The sin of the golden calf comes, uh, you know, God comes and, and says, okay, you guys sinned, but don't worry about it. You could do tshuva. And they were like, what's tshuva? You know, so like, oh, you have to repent. On Yom Kippur, you come and you can repent. And then what happens? They, they did the sin of the Chata Egel. Then they were able to do tshuva. When did they do tshuva? Yom Kippur. Literally, the Yom Kippur of the Chata Egel was the same day, the 10th of Tishrei. Comes, now was Yom Kippur. Now, they're also, this is very interesting, is when the Ananea Kavod came back. We'll speak about it soon. But Ananea Kavod came back for, you know, a few days after, after that, uh, the, the, the clouds of glory. They came back right after the um, the Chet of the Egad. So what do we see over here? That the Jews sinned, they messed up, but they were able to sort of fix themselves back again. Which means their whole scary thought was, oh my gosh, if we go and we mess up, we're burnt, we're done, we're, we're, we're finished. But no, we see after Yom Kippur, we'll be like, no, no, no. If you mess up, you can still come back again. So now the Jews are saying, okay, listen, now we know the, the value of the Torah. Now we know it's amazing, amazing, you know, the, the, how much it's really worth. We see it's amazing specimen that we got. Now let's dance for, now let's have this man simchat, you know, now let's dance for the Torah. Now we have simchat Torah went after Sukkot. Why? Because that's after we did, after we messed up. This is when we really see the beauty of the Torah. And that's why we have it over, uh, you know, specifically now is when we dance for the simchat Torah on that, on, on Sukkot. Now, now we can, now we can do a small recap. We have over here, we said this is Mansum Khatenu. Why is it Mansum Khatenu? We have two things. We have a physical aspect and a, and, a, and a spiritual aspect. On the physical aspect, we have 
that it's why is Ma'asim Khatenu? Because we bring it on, we bring it into the, the shade. The, the, it's the sukkah is known as the shade of, of Emuna, right? So we're we're going under God's Emuna. Everything is from God. Not only is everything from God, we realize that life is temporary. Life is temporary. Then the physical world is is, is nothing to sweat by. If it's nothing to sweat by, you're already living a happier life. That's in the physical sense. Now let's go to the spiritual sense. The spiritual sense we have the tuah, the tuah. Oh, what happens? Tuah six hundred thirty mitzvot. What happens if you mess up? God says, don't worry, there's tshuva. When you come and you do tshuva, and all of a sudden, what? You're also good on the spiritual side. Comes Sukkot. Sukkot is everything. We have the physical. We have the, the spiritual. Everything comes. It's amazing. What's not to be happy about? When is, when is Man Simchatenu? On Sukkot. Not on Purim. Not on Hanukkah. Not on Pesach. But what? Rather, on Sukkot. On Zuma, that's when Sukkot is, is Man Simchatenu. Now, there is another reason for, for uh, to, just to sort of explain that on the thing of... On the thing of... Uh, of, of uh, was I right? Okay. I'm trying, I'm trying to read. So, so, uh, um, the, there is also, so what I was speaking about before, and I want to just clarify, and the Ananea Kavod. Ananea Kavod, there was clouds of glory. Clouds of glory were literally clouds that were all surrounded all the, the Jews in the Midbar, and it protected them from like everything. Like it had a cloud in front of them that, that flattened the ground, killed all the scorpions. They had clouds on the sides, they had clouds in the back, they had clouds under it. They, it was literally like they were in a moving hotel, or whatever, however you could explain it. So, these clouds of glory, when did they come back? They came back after, after Yom Kippur. They left, when they did the sin of the Chata Ego, they left. When they did the sin of the Chata Ego, and then they came back when they did uh, Chuba. Now, there is a very interesting uh, um, thing. When you, when you look at the Sukkot, in the Torah, it says three times Simcha, in referring to, the, um, to Sukkot. Number one, in the, uh, Deuteronomy, in Devarim, chapter 16, verse 14, it says, V'samachta bechagecha. You should be happy in your uh, in your in your holiday. You should rejoice in your, in your holiday. Then also in Devarim, in chapter in the same chapter, the next pasuk, chapter sixteen, verse fifteen, it says, "Vayita achsameach," and you will be joyous. And then again in in Vayikra, chapter twenty three, verse forty, it says, "V'samachtem lefnei Hashem elokechem shivat yamin." You will be rejoiced with God for seven days. Three times it refers to Zma, to Sukkot as a time of simcha, a time of happiness. Now, what is this specifically? Why three times? Comes to Shvili Pinchas and he explains so beautifully. He says, there are three types of sins. There is a chet, there is an avon, and there's a pesha. What's the difference? A chet is, if, let's say you sin unintentionally. By mistake, you made a mistake, you sinned, that's called a chet. Then you have avon. Avon is you sinned, but on purpose. And then you have a pesha. Pesha is you sinned on purpose for a rebellious reason. You'd be like, I know it's a sin, and I don't care, I'm doing it to spite God. That's a sin for, for a pesha. So now, connected, regard, uh, like uh, opposite those three things, we have three types of forgiveness on, three types of atonement on Yom Kippur. We have kapara, slicha, and mechila. We have kapara, oh, I don't even have to tell you, it says right in the tefillah of Yom Kippur, it already, I'm, I'm gonna read to you one line from the tefillah, and this will, you'll, you'll be able to, to plug in everything in. We say, before we do the alchet on Yom Kippur, it says, that's, we have the kapara on the, on the unintentional sins. Then it says, v'tislach lanu al kol avonotenu. Forgive us, tislach, the other, other, uh, uh, name of, of forgiveness, atonement, for our intentional sins. And then it says, v'timchol lanu al kol peshoenu. And forgive us also on all our sins of our rebellious. So we had three levels of sins. We comes Yom Kippur. Comes Yom Kippur and we have this three levels of atonement. So what better time to be happy? Imagine you go into court and you're, you're being judged on so many things and you come back vindicated on all accounts. Right? Party time. Right? Celebrate. This is where the after party is, right after when you, you got vindicated. Comes Yom Kippur. We were judged on all three accounts. We were, not only were judged on, we were vindicated. We were said, okay, don't worry about it. You're good. You did real chuvai. You did good chuvai. You're good. 
you have this three thing. That's why it comes specifically three different types of, uh, the psukim tell you, it tells you that you have to be happy on Chai Vasukot. Why are you happy? Happy three times? Connected the three times of the three types of sins that we had over here. You with me so far? Okay. So now, there is, now there's, there's, that's, that's one part that we, that we sort of, uh, um, you know, hopefully got a grasp on. The, the fact is to be happy. We have to be happy, why? From the spiritual sense. We have to be happy from the, from the physical sense, right? In the phys- spiritual sense, we have the chuvah, and we have the chuvah, the three types of chuvah for the three types of happiness, and we have from the physical sense that everything is temporary and everything is from God. You have, you're sitting in God in the, in the shade of emunah. So therefore, you have the happiness. Now, the question is, as we saw the topic, it says unity and happiness. Now, what does unity, what does achdut have to do with happiness? So let's see how we're going to plug that in together. So there, there's a very, very, very important, uh, uh, and it really needs a, a, a complete class in itself, probably, ta- you know, of the, just the, the happiness that you have to have on doing mitzvot. When you do a mitzvot, you are required to be happy with it. Right? And it says in the Pasuk, also in Devarim, chapter 28, verse 47, Do you know why so many bad things are happening to you? Because you didn't serve God out of happiness. Not because you didn't serve, because you didn't serve God out of happiness. And in fact, people, the, the Satan, one of its strongest, strongest, uh, uh, fights that it uses is it puts you into depression because when someone's depressed they don't gain anything they don't learn they're not able to focus they're not able to gain spiritually depression is one of the strongest things that pulls a person down in a um, uh, in a spiritual sense also in a physical sense so he the the um so this is why also the Arizal he says you know how he got the Arizal was the biggest capitalist in the past you know thousands of years he lived about 500 years ago you know how he said he got so big because he did all his his uh, mitzvot with happiness that's how he reached such a high level so now, if you want to know what real, what a word really means, right, I was speaking about Alephid a little bit before, if you want to know what a word really means, you look for the first time it's written in the Torah. One of the character traits also. Also, if you, the letters, just, you know, being that we're speaking about the Alephid before, the letters, if you want to know what a real, you look for the first time that it's written in the Torah, that, that letter, you could, you could uh, get a little bit of understanding it. So what, so, Simcha, Sameach, what is the first time that that word is written in the Torah? So you look at it, it's in Shemot chapter 4, verse 14. I'll just, I'll give you the background. Moshe didn't want to go and speak to, to the, he says, listen, you know, he goes to God and says, listen, I'm going to speak in front of everybody on my lips. I, I'm a, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a speech, a speech deficit. How am I going to be able to speak then? So God says, don't worry, Aaron, your brother is going to come to you and he is going to do the speaking for you. And he says, don't worry, he's coming and it says, Bisamach bilibo. The first time it says it is referring to Aaron. What does it mean, Bisamach bilibo? If you look at Rashi over there, it says that he, you know, he, Aaron was older, Moshe was younger. And you would think, okay, listen, why is God, why is Moshe the chosen one? I'm older, I should be the chosen one. That's not how Aaron said. Aaron said, you know what? I'm happy for him. I'm happy. Samach means that he was happy for his younger brother, that he was getting the, 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 I guess more lead role, if you could say that, in the, even though it says they were both equal in, in, a, in a sense. They, they, he was getting the lead role in this, in this, uh, in this aspect. So we see over here that the first time the Torah speaks about happiness, what is it? It's not referring to happiness internally for you it's happiness for somebody else you want to know what true happiness is true happiness is is when you when you have happiness for somebody else not for yourself making other people uh, making other people happy and this in essence is our own Aaron, we know, is Ohev Shalom Verodef Shalom. He is somebody who loved peace and chased after peace. Aaron was somebody who if if let's say two two people are fighting he would go over to let's say Mr. A and Mr. B were fighting he would go over to Mr. A and say hey Mr. A you know Mr. B 
uh, feels really bad about what he did to you and he really wants to come apologize. And Mr. A says, really? You really, he really wants to come apologize? And I says, you don't even know the half of it. He feels so bad that he, he wants to, you know, it, it just feels terrible. And then Alon goes over to Mr. B and he says, tells Mr. B, he says, listen, Mr. A feels so bad of what he did to you. You don't know the half of it. He's up all night. He's crying. He wants to make up with you. And he says, really, Mr. A really wants to make up with me? And he says, you don't even know the half of it. And then he just leaves and then they come back and they'll be like, you know, I'm so sorry. And be like, no, I'm so sorry. No, no, the wiser. And he would make people, would, would, would fix them up like that. Also, husband and wife. What are the one main reasons why people are always fighting? Oh, she's gonna, she's gonna apologize first. Oh, he's gonna apologize first. No, I'm gonna wait over here. I'm gonna do it, you know. And people, they, they don't even remember what they started fighting about. Even friends, two close friends, you ask them, I think this happens to be more in girls. You have people that are best friends, and then two years later, it'll be like, that's my worst enemy. I hate her, and, and everything. I'm like, what happened? I didn't even want to tell you. Why? Because I don't remember. Right? But usually, because you don't even know all the, the things that happened, but they separate that for, for, and, and you, sometimes you really want to make up, but it's like, I, you know, uh, she's going to do it first, or he's going to do it first. And that pushes it. Alon says, let me be the catalyst over here. He says, I'm sorry. He says, I'm sorry. Shalom Alisad. Right? And they would go, and they would actually go, and they would have, uh, um, they would, they would make peace. And it says not only that, there were many children that were named in that time Alon. You know why they named Alon? Because Alon was the guy who made the parents together. He was a peacemaker. He would walk around and greet everybody. People always felt bad to do a sin, because how would they look at Alon, who always, he's such a nice guy. He's so amazing. Everybody loved him. And that's why you look at his, you look at his name. His name is Aleph, Hey, Reish, Nun. Right? So let's look at the Hey. Hey is five. Five is the middle of the tens. Reish is 200. You like the matcha, right? 200 is the middle of the numerical, because in, in alphabet, the highest numerical value of a letter is 400. So 200 is the middle of the, of the hundreds. Nun is 50, the middle of the tens. You have Aaron right in the middle of everything. What does that mean? Because that's what he was. He was in the middle of everything, putting everything together. What's the Aleph? He was doing it all for one God. He was doing it only for Rabbeinu Shabbat Shemayim. Aaron, his essence was Oev Shalom, Oev Shalom. His essence was bringing everybody together. His essence was the was the was the achdut was was bringing everybody together. This is why when it's very interesting when we when God says you want to accept the Torah and what do we say? Naaseh Nishma. We will do and we will listen. They're like, why? Well, yeah, hold up a second. So why? What's with we? I will do and I will listen. Why are you bringing your neighbor into the thing? Because you know what we said? No, we are coming all for one and one for all. If, which means is if one guy messes up, we take the hit for it. If another guy messes up, we also take the hit for it. But yet, when the Chet Egel came, when they did the sin of the golden calf, it wasn't like that. They said, why don't you go to your God? Which they referring to the golden calf. They basically, they went from, from united to divided. So comes the, comes Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur comes, by the way, the Anane Akavot came because of Aaron. One of the reasons we have Anane Akavot, the clouds of glory, was because of Aaron. Aaron, he was the guy who, who, uh, and we'll soon, uh, try to explain that. So. I have a question. So yeah. Everyone respected Aaron so much. Why didn't they listen to him when they went to do Chetayagan? You ever, um, you know, there's sometimes when you, when you know that there's something is right, but when you're too, that, you know, it doesn't matter what somebody's gonna tell you, your mind is set. You know, this, I'll tell you when, it, when it, let's say somebody goes and, and he's dating somebody, they're dating somebody, and they're so emotionally invested that even though they know it's a bad relationship and it's, it's a little bit abusive, they're so emotionally in there already that they're like, oh, we're just gonna get married already, and what else, you know, it's just too difficult all the way around. And you'll be surprised how many people, you know, it's just like, it's too, it's, it's, it, what, you know, I, that's why people are, they date for seven years and they get divorced after two years. Because it, it, there's, there's, even though there's something wrong, you know that there's something wrong, there's always, there's not always you're gonna listen to it. You know smoking is bad. You know that someone who's on a diet knows that, that cake is bad. They know it, but they still want it. So they'll still do it. So it, just because you know the knowledge and somebody comes and tells you doesn't automatically mean that you, they'll listen to you. And Aaron also had to do it because somebody else in the, when they came to the, to, to the Egan said, hey, you guys know how to do that. Don't do that. They just chucked him in the, they killed him. 
So Aaron says, okay, let's, let's be a little smart over here. Let me try to delay them. So he tried to work a, a, on a different angle. So, but that's a, the whole thing in itself. So the, when we had the Ananea Kabbalah because Aaron comes, so then you would think right after Yom Kippur, we did Shuva on the, on the Chet Egel. You guys are with me so far? Good. We do the Chet of the, of the, Chet of, uh, of the, of the Egel. We come back. We should have got the Ananea Kabbalah back. But the Ananea Kabbalah didn't come back. When did it come back? Only once we started for, on the 14th. Only once we started, or on the 15th, I'm sorry. It was only once we started to build the Mishkan. What, what was the difference? It's because until then we were divided. We were divided. We didn't have that. What comes to Mishkan, everyone says, okay, you know when there's a common goal? Everybody, everybody gets together. You know, we gotta build a building fund. Okay, everybody gets together, the whole thing, everybody's all together. We had to build a Mishkan, all of a sudden we came all together. Beforehand, we were not seven Ishma. After the, after the sin of the, of the golden calf, it was you go to your God. We were separated. When did we come back together? Only once that we came and we built the Mishkan. We had that unified goal. That's when. When did the Ananea Kavod come back? Ananea Kavod that came because of Aaron, who was known for unity, can only come back when we were united. When were we united? After we started building Mishkan. That's why he came up there. That's why we take the, the four species, right? We have the, the Abaminim. We have the Lulav. We have a Tog. We have the Simen Arabaot. I should have brought, I should have brought, I had a, so, let me explain. So there's there's uh, there's something that's that there's a taste and there is uh, there's a smell. There is, and you'll understand this in a second. Taste refers to Torah knowledge. Smell refers to good deeds. Etrog has a good smell and a good taste. This refers to Torah knowledge, which means you're tamid chacham, you know Torah, and you have good deeds. Then you have alulav. Alulav comes from a date. A date has a taste but no smell. This refers to only Torah knowledge but no good deeds. Then you have hadasim. Hadasim are, are myrtle. Myrtle is smells, people do misamim on it. Right? You, you'll, you, it smells good, but don't eat it. It doesn't taste like anything. Right? It, it has no taste. Which means it has good deeds, but no Torah. And then you have aravot, no smell and no taste. Which means no good deeds and no Torah. We take all these, t- these are all representing people. We take all, there's somebody who has, who is a tamim, who is, who knows a lot of Torah, and there's somebody who is, uh, also, also good deeds. And then there's somebody who only has one. And then somebody who has only one, the other one. And then somebody who has nothing. We, there's all different types of Jews in the world. We take it all together and we bind them all together. When you shake a lulav and a tog, you have to hold them all together. Everything is together while unified, united as one. That's what we take. We're combining, we're bringing everybody together. No matter how far reached you are from the, from Judaism, you come together and you put it together in the lulav and tog. And that's why it's very interesting. The etrog, which, re, which represents the, the, the Torah and the good deeds, is where is it next to? The aravot, the one who has nothing. It's not next to the guy who has, it's the one who has nothing. That's the one that you put it next to. That's the one who says, no, we're going to put, this is a time for Kiruv also. This is a time that you bring everybody into, uh, into, into Kiruv. This is something also very interesting. Listen to this. Before, besides that, I wrote it actually over here. Sukkah, right? Sukkah, is that what the Vav? The Vav is just uh, a vowel. In order for a sukkah to be kosher, there's levels for it. Number one is if it's a samach, like it has all four walls. It has to be all completely enclosed. That's the best level. But let's say you can't do that. You can only have three walls. So no problem. Three walls, like shidduch, is also kosher. But let's say you don't have three walls. All you have is two walls and a little tefah. So that's also kosher. So what do we see over here? It's all about the flexibility. It's all about flexibility. It says, this is good. We're going to make it kosher. Is this kosher? No. Okay, so let's do it like over here. This is kosher? No. Then we go back to, it's all about the flexibility. It's all about the Aaron, bringing that together, bringing the flexibility and getting along with everybody. There's something very interesting. So the hey over here, you know, when you give somebody a hug, right? So when you give somebody a hug, if you look at it, it's almost like you're putting a hey with your hand. You have here one, two, and the little hey over here. 
So when you're going and you're giving somebody a hug, you're sort of bringing them into your, just like that, that shade the, 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 of the, of the, um, of the sukkah, you're bringing them into your, in your, in your, uh, sort of, uh, dwelling place. Now it says, listen to this, we're gonna plug it all in together. Rav Pam, he explains like this, he says, the, the way that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, the way that Torah explains is you leave your permanent dwelling, which is your house, and you go into your temporary dwelling, which is the sukkah. So what happens, says, says Rafam, this is not only referring to in the physical sense, but also in your mind. People are always self-censored. Self, self, I'm sorry, self-centered. They're always thinking about themselves. However, there are people that they're temporarily thinking about other people as well. They, they'd like to think about other people and they, they try to do good deeds, but they're not always thinking about other people. They're mostly thinking about themselves. So their permanent dwelling place is in themselves. Thinking of that. Their temporary dwelling self is thinking about other people. Says Rav Palm, says that, you know what time is sukkah? Time is sukkah is you get out of your permanent. Getting out of just thinking always about yourself, go into somebody else. Give that other person that hug. Give that other person, bring that other person in. Go into your temporary dwelling place for seven days. Think about somebody else. If you think about somebody else, that's when you're going to get, that's when you get the achdut. That's when you get the, the the, the unity. There, is, uh, there was once uh, a very wealthy father who had three boys. And he goes to his boys, he gathers them one day in his study, right? He's in his nice robe, smoking a pipe, fireplace, whatever picture you want to make it. So um, he goes and he sits over there and he tells, he says, guys, I want you each to come think. I want you to tell me what's the most important thing in life. So, you know, these guys went all to prep school, you know, they're thinking, all right, you know, take out their pads, making some graphs and charts, and then they put on their sweaters and their ties, and they come back and says, father, obviously they're English, so they says, um, you know, uh, the first one says, I uh, think money. Money is the best thing that, uh, that, that it's, it's the number one thing. It's the most important thing. With, with money, you could buy social status. With money, you could buy, you could buy anything with money. You could even look smart with money. Many people think they look smart with money, and many people, you know, are not so smart, mother, but they think they do. So that's, he says the first one, money. The second kid gets up there and he says, Father, I disagree. And he says, no, rather it's what? It's education. He says, if you have a good education, it builds a foundation for everything else. If you don't have a good education, you know, it's nothing. The third kid gets up and he says, no, both of you are wrong. It is to build a fine family. If you build a nice, fine family, that is the most important thing. So the father, you know, looks at all of them, and he says, he, he takes out from his, you know, treasure chest, he takes out a bunch of twigs, and he gives each one a twig. And he says, guys, please uh, break it. And, you know, no problem, they break it. Then he takes out each another batch, and this time, it's a bunch of twigs wrapped together and twined together. And he gives them each to each one of them, and he says, now you break it. And they, they try to, these are grown, you know, they, could, they couldn't break it. He says, what's the difference? It's a bunch of little ones. You were able to break it so easily. He says, yeah, but when it's wind together, we can't. It's, it's all stronger. I can't. And the father says, that is the strongest thing. That is the most important thing. Your guys are going to be going out. You're going to be getting married. You're going to go, you're going your separate ways. But the one, the strongest thing that unites and that, that, that's the strength and the most important thing is unity. If you guys stick together, nothing can break you. If you guys go apart, then you're going to fall like a bunch of twigs. The most important thing in Judaism is unity, right? We know, uh, uh, this is one of the reasons we don't have the Beth Amigdash. This is why also, in, in the time of King David, there was Torah, there was everything, but we didn't win all the wars. Why didn't we win all the wars? Because we had Lashon we had Gossip, we had all these things. In the time of Ahab, the time where there was so many bad, uh, there was idol worship, rampant, but we didn't win, we didn't lose a single war. Why? Because we had unity. Unity is, uh, if you have unity, you are indestructible. There's nobody that can break you down if you don't have unity, right? Nowadays, unfortunately, not only do we not have unity, that we get destroyed from people that are inside of us. From people inside of us is, is where we're coming down. So, the holiday of Sukkot, the holiday of Sukkot is the holiday of, of, of unity. The holiday of unity is the holiday of Simcha. When you're going, when you're able to have happiness with somebody else, that is the ultimate Simcha. That is the ultimate, and that's why. What's all relationship? Relationship is giving. When you give is when you get stronger. When you give for somebody else is when you get that happiness. True happiness is to, is to give. This is what we're doing on, on, on the Sukkot. We're bringing everybody together. Not only do we have happiness in the physical sense, in the spiritual sense, now we also have happiness as a whole, as in, in, in Kalali Now, 
there's something very interesting that um, uh, I wanted to... So far, so clear? Yeah. We're good? Okay, no questions? Wasn't so bad, right? No. Okay, so now there is... Um, I'm getting warmed up, relax. <laughs> so the, there is... Um, there's a very, very interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, question that comes up. It says that when, you know, after, you know, at the end of the days, God is going to, you know, the, the non-Jews are going to see how much each mitzvah is worth, and they're like, listen, God, this is not fair. Says you gave the Jews so many mitzvot. Of course, look how many there are to you. You didn't give us anything. So, and what God is fair. Says, you know what? Fine, I'll give you one right now. I'll give you one right now. Let's see how you do with it. What does God give them? God gives them the mitzvah of sukkah. He gives them a mitzvah of sukkah, and they put them in the sukkah. And it says, okay, listen, you want to do a mitzvah? Do it right now. So, all right, let's do it. That's awesome. You know, they pack up, all the brothers go in there. They sit in the, in the, in the sukkah over there, and then God takes the sun out of its, like, shade, and it makes it so hot. So hot, that the non-Jews come out, and they give it a kick, and be like, enough of this. I always supposed to do this mitzvah. And they go. And that, that's how the, 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 the Chazal explained the, the story of what's going to happen in the future. And, you know, it's obviously, it's a big, it's a, you know, it's a question. Be like, it doesn't make any sense over here. First of all, if it's so hot, we just learned that even the Jews could leave it. What's a, you know, what's the, what's the big, deal, you know, like, and why, why only, why specifically Sukkah are we bringing in over here? So, Rav Chaim of Sanz, he uh, explains this in a, um, in a very interesting, uh, uh, mashal, another parable. He says like this, he says one time there was falsehood, you know, literally Shekel, falsehood, Mr. Falsehood, the guy who was in charge of all the lying, and he met, uh, Mr. Evil Inclination, Satan. Right, um, so they met, you know, they each other's house, everything. All right, obviously, false lied. You know, Satan was trying to make it. Whatever, it was, you know, Shalom Alaikum. He goes over there and he says, uh, and he says, uh, he sees that, you know, the, the Satan is in a terrible mood, and he so the falsehood, you know, goes up to him and says, "What's up? Uh, you know, what, what's going on? Why are you in such a bad mood?" He says, "You, you know, Yom Kippur just finished. Now we have Sukkot." He says, "You don't understand." He says, "You know how much I have to fight on Sukkot? You have all these people. They come in with the, with the ship's loads of lulavim and togim, and you have people over there that they're sitting and they're looking and they're trying to beg, make the, beg, the, the the you know the best they talk about. You know, I saw this. Uh, there's a cute little picture that was going around." We see a bunch of guys on their cell phones, you know, looking at that, you know, really close to their cell phones. And then you see a bunch of Hasidim with their srogim, looking really close like that on their srogim. <laughs> so you have all the, the, the non-Jews doing with that, but the Jews, you look at it, you go to any of shop, everybody's all, all of a sudden diamond merchants, right? They take off their glasses, they, they whip out these like, you know, bifocals things, or they come in there, they put their microscope to look for everything. They, they take a talking so seriously, they look at it for, to make it sure that it's most beautiful. So he says, you know, I'm getting killed over here. They show, look at what they show God, how much they love his mitzvot. I, I'm getting destroyed over here. So the Satan, the Satan says, uh, I'm sorry, the, the false Satan says, listen, I have a proposition for you. He says, the shipment is coming in on, on, uh, in the ocean. Just sink the shipment. If you sink the shipment, they're not going to have anything to do there. So the Satan says, that's amazing. Thank you very much. And he goes and he sinks the shipment. He sinks the shipment. And a few weeks later, he goes and they, and they meet up again. So the, the, you know, the false Satan goes to the sun and says, oh, so how did it go? He says, ah, oh, you ruined me. He says, I don't understand why I even listened to you. He's like, what are you talking about? Did you, did you do my, my advice? Did you sink the ship? Yeah, I sink everything. They didn't come find the single at all. He says, what's the problem? So the problem was that they bothered them so much that they didn't have a talk. They really wanted to do it so badly. Now there is a law, uh, that there's a law, which means if you want to do a mitzvah, but you can't do a mitzvah, but you really wanted to do a mitzvah, you get rewarded as if you did it. So he says, they wanted to do it so badly, so they got rewarded as if they did it. He says, beforehand, when I have the actually, at least I had their ego I could play with, because everybody would come to me and be like, oh, how much you pay for yours? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, look at mine. I got a cartel on this, and now there's all the, the lingo that they have over there, and this is one's more yellower, this one looks like a tower, this one looks like the twin towers, and whatever it is that they're gonna come in, and they all show off to each other. So even though it's a mitzvah, and it's great, but, you know, when you're showing off, you know, it brings it down. He says, now, how am I supposed to deal with that? He says, they didn't, there was no showing off, everyone's brokenhearted, everybody just wanted to do it, and everybody want, they got reward as fully as they did it. Now I want to explain this, this, uh, this idea. 
It's, it's, by the way, it's an unbelievable idea that uh, this, this idea is so powerful, which means is, uh, let me explain it beforehand, and then I'll explain the, the de- details of it in a, in a minute. You have, um, if, if somebody really wants to do something and they cannot do it due to circumstances beyond their control, they get reward as if they did it. That is an unbelievable, unbelievable ideology. That, that's, like, that's awesome. That's like, I tried, but I couldn't do it, so don't worry about it. Here's 100 anyways on your test. That's like, uh, so, so when somebody, let's say, comes up, let's speak about it for a man first. A man comes up after 120, and they tell him, uh, you know, uh, you know, did you, did you set times? Did you set times? Learn Torah. So, which means is every man is supposed to set times every single day that he's learning Torah. So the guy says, what am I supposed to do? I have to, you know, I have to support a family. I have to work. So they said, okay, let's, uh, let's see what you did when you, uh, did, were not working. What were you doing when you're not working? And they see, you know, he's playing video games, he's watching TV, he's doing this thing, so he's like, you obviously didn't want to. If somebody goes and he sees, like, right after he comes learning and he helps with the family, he goes and sits and learns, and learns in Shiudwa, it really means that the whole day he really wanted to learn Shiudwa, but he just couldn't. So what does God do? God makes it as if the whole day he was learning Torah. Because he really wanted to do it, he just couldn't do it. But if the, the, at the end of the day you're sitting there and playing, you're showing that you didn't really want to do it in the beginning with. You didn't want to do it, you're getting reward for nothing. The same thing is like women use this example, uh, married women in particular use this example a lot. They say, davening, a woman is, is, is required to pray. But they say, listen, when you have children, you're not, you're obviously your first responsibility is your children. You're not going to sit there crying in I mean, while the baby is screaming and crying, falling down the stairs, and you're, you're in the middle of, you know, in your, in your spiritual world. That's not what you're supposed to do. But the problem is that you, they use this for as an example. They use it for example, but like, I'm a woman, I don't have to daven. But like, your kids are married already, you know, no one's at your home. What do you mean? You don't, you don't have no, there's no excuse. And they really don't have an excuse. They really need to go and they pray. It comes up to, they come up to heaven after 120 and they say, Alright, did you uh, pray every single day? And uh, they said, ah, I had children. Says, yeah, for like 20 years. What happened to the other 80 years? Where were you? You didn't pray at all the other day, the other time, when you're single, after you're, when, if let's say you have kids, but they went and they, you know, they're out in school, and you have a few minutes to pray, why don't you pray? If you really prayed, then every time that you didn't pray, but you really want to pray, you got a reward as if you prayed. But if you didn't pray when you were, could have prayed, that means you never even wanted to pray to begin with. Got it? That's an amazing, amazing... So where is the first time that this... Now we're going to start pulling everything together from Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. We're going to try to plug everything together. Yeah, let's No, no, no. So that's just an example that I use. It's just an example that I use, yeah. So now, um, there is... Where is the first time that we saw this idea that that if you really want to do something, but you can't do it, it counts as if you did it? So it comes to Rosh Hashanah. Let's backtrack a little bit to Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, we blow the shofar. One of the reasons why we blow the shofar is to remind us that uh, the Akedat of Yitzchak. Yitzchak was supposed to go on Akedat. He was supposed to go and get uh, slaughtered. And he, you know, God says to Abraham, you know, uh, uh, don't do that. Uh, I got you right in time. No, no cutting. So he said, oh, please, a little bit. He said, no, nothing. And he says, all right, what am I supposed to do? So what, so he took Yitzchak off the, off the thing and he looked and he saw a ram caught in the thorns was his, his horn. So he took the, that and he slaughtered him instead of Yitzchak. So now what we do is we blow the shofar to remind God that Avraham shechted Yitzchak and Akedat Yitzchak. The obvious question is, that's not what it reminds us. It reminds us that Avraham didn't shecht Yitzchak. If, if you want to remind us something, put like t- a knife on the table, you know, put something on it. Why are we, why are we blowing a horn that's something that, that just proves that we didn't, that he was not uh, sacrificed on it. it? It's just the opposite. It doesn't prove anything. So understand the question? So the um, so the, the the answer is that first of all there is um, there's a very interesting in Ishtabach, uh, for people who are familiar with the prayer the right in Ishtabach it says we say habochel b'shirei zimra habochel b'shirei zimra literally doesn't it makes so, so much sense because it's like habochel chooses b'shirei zimra is the two of the same language of, of of song so it's like it's like double language why what's the double language so the, so the um, 
explains this like this, and he says that when somebody goes and, let's say a real, real religious Jew, he goes and he prays and he finishes praying, or she finishes praying, and they finish praying, they're like, you know what? I could have prayed better. I could have concentrated just a little bit better. I could have been able to focus a little bit more. And they feel so bad. All they want to do is just pray again because they want to do it better. But they can't because they already prayed already. So it bothers them so much but that they want to do it. Comes comes God, Bishirei. Shirei, if you're, you know, if, uh, if you've ever been to like Chitish, there's a, which is like Chassidish Rebbe, there's something called Shirayim. Shirayim means the Rebbe eats something and everyone eats, takes the remnants of it. Shirayim is the remnants of it. God says, you know what I'm going to take? I'm going to take not in the actual prayer, I'm going to take in the remnants of the prayer. That prayer that you're so broken that you wanted to pray again, you want to, I'm going to take that and count it as if you did it again and you did it perfect. Because that's what I'm going to count. I'm going to count the actions, the deeds that you wanted to do but you couldn't do it as if you did do it. This is also the, ens- the essence of tshuva. Tshuva is the same, is the same idea. Tshuva, it says, it says in the Gemara, in Kiddushim, um, it says in Gemara in Kiddushim, that says, Yasha velo avar avera, notim lo mitzvah. If somebody goes and doesn't do a sin, he's tempted or she's tempted to do a sin, and they overcome it, they get rewarded as if they did a mitzvah. So after they do the sin, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I messed up that, that mitzvah. I messed it up. I really wanted to do that mitzvah. Comes Shuvah and says, no problem. When you do Shuvah, it's counted as if you did that mitzvah and you didn't do the sin. So this is the same idea where you want to do something, but you didn't do it, or you messed it up, or you're doing a backtrack, it, but you really wanted to do it, you, it's counted as if you did it. The same t- uh, the idea of machshavak and maseh. Where does it come with? The first time over here with Avraham. Because how do we know that it came from Avraham? Avraham had this scenario over here. He was uh, with his son, over here, his best favorite son, right? And he was like, you know, that's, he was, you know, he's gonna kill the, the only thing that he, that he, that, you know, that he and his wife worked together and tried to achieve for 130 somewhat years, 137 years. They're sitting over there. So they're coming, they're like, okay, what are we supposed to do? You know, we, we have to cut him. And then God's all and says, free, free hole pass. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. You don't have to cut him. Go on. A normal father would be like, come on, let's go before God changes his mind again. And, you know, zoom out of there as fast as you can. But Abraham was like, no, I, but I came here to do you the will of God. I need to do the will of God. I, I, I need to do it. And he says, no, no, you can't do anything. He says, can I, can I at least get the ram over there? He says, okay, do the ram. So by him doing the ram, he's like thinking, okay, I'm, I'm shafting the ram. I'm sacrificing the ram as if I'm sacrificing Yitzhak. Which means is he really wanted to listen to God. Not that he wanted to kill his son, but he wanted to listen to God. And he wanted to listen to so badly that even when he got an excuse to leave, he's like, I'm not leaving yet until I actually do something that, that you know, because I really want to listen to God. So he goes and he listens, he, he goes and he, and he, and he, takes the, the ram. We come and we, what do we do? We, t- we blow the shofar. Come, we, t- we tell God, listen. He says, maybe we've been bad. Maybe we didn't listen. But look, we really always wanted to do good. Look, just like our forefather, Abraham. He always just wanted to do your will. He always wanted to do your will. So too, we only want to do your will. And we come and we blow the shofar. In reminiscence, this is the perfect example of uh, Kedat Yitzhak. Because it's even better than sacrificing. This is just showing that everything we, we want to do is we want to do it for God. This is the, um, this is the idea of Machshava Kemase. When you, this is the first time that you did it. The first time that we, we have that in Torah is by Abraham, where he really wanted to do something and shows God that not only did he, even though he couldn't do it, he was able to do it. Good so far? With me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, alright, now I want to finish with this, uh, with this, uh, with this thought. So, there is a, um, oh, no, let me answer that. I, we didn't answer yet the, the question. The question we asked beforehand is what's up with the, the, you know, the non-Jews, they come and they put in the sukkah and they get so hot. And the answer is very simply. I, I slipped in over there. I don't know if you heard it. It says when the non-Jews go out, they kick the sukkah. They're like, this, what is this stupid mitzvah? What do we need this mitzvah for? The difference between a Jew and a non-Jew is a non-Jew leaves the sukkah thinking, oh my gosh, 
I really want to go. I can't believe it's raining. I want to sit in the sukkah. I want to do the sukkah. I want to do it so badly. The non, so the, what does happen? The Jews get rewarded as if they did do it. When a Jew cannot do a mitzvah, they, but they really want to do it, they get rewarded as if they did do it. The non-Jews, they gave it a kick. As showing, I don't want this. So they don't want to do it. So it says, aha, you see over here? You see over here? Ah, because you didn't want to do it, that's it. So now, not only do you don't get reward, because you could have said, okay, you see, I, I just showed you that I really did want to do a mitzvot all along. But so, I, so God says, no, 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 I just showed you that you never wanted to do a mitzvot. You thought everything was was stupid. You kicked it. If you would have left the, the sukkah wanting to do it, that would have been a different story. That's how Jews are. When do we get the mitzvah sukkah? Right after Yom Kippur. Right after we do the tshuva. Right after we put in our mind that, oh, Akedat Yitzhak, the shofar, we have all these things going on that it's telling us everything that we do, we're doing it for God. We're doing it, we really want to do it. The whole thing of tshuva is I want to listen to God. Comes. Yom Kippur, after Yom Kippur, God says, what am I getting, the mitzvah we'll put right inside is sukkah over here. Sukkah is a perfect mitzvah, because this shows that when you do it, and you can't, and you, um, you really want to do it, and you can't do it, you'll get rewarded as if you did do it. As opposed to the non-Jews, we're going to give them the same test over here, specifically sukkah, because I know my children are going to pass this one, because it's the thing that they've been living for the past 10 days. This is something that they've been dealing with for the past, uh, uh, for the, you know, this is what they, their, their essence it became. Okay, good? Alright, so let me finish with this, uh, this final thought. I'm not, it's getting hot. You guys are not in the spiritual levels yet. All right. So now, I heard this uh, something very amazing um, from a Yitzhak Afangel. So he explains like this. He says, um, you know, even though we have we have three things that happened to us in the Midbar, three things that happened to us in the desert that are in uh, um, reference to people like Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. We have the man that we that they ate. That is in reference. That is in the schut in the merit of Moshe. Then, and we'll be finished, guys, with uh, in about like five minutes. Then we have the um, the Be'er of Miriam, which was literally, it's called the, the well of Miriam, came from the scut of Miriam. And then we have the clouds of glory, the Ananei HaKavod, which we said is in the scut of Aaron HaKohen. So the, the, um, there's something very interesting. The Chazal tell us that it's not only them that gave the scut, it's also Abraham. What happened was Abraham got his Brit Milah, right, when he was 100 years old. Right? He got a Brit Milah, he was 100 years old, came the third day, which is the most Toughest date, uh, post, I guess, believe me not, post surgery that he, uh, um, that he had. I'm always shifting from this thing. Okay. He has, uh, he has 30, he has, the third day, which is the most toughest day that he had for, for his Brit He goes and God makes his son so hot so that, cause his all essence, he wanted to bring guests. He had a, he had an open tent on all sides that his thing, he wanted to bring guests. Abraham, the way that he, uh, what he did is he brought everybody together and when they, like, you know, free hospitality, free sleeping, free food, everything that you want, and all they'll do, he'll give you kiruv. He'll teach you about one God and one this. And when they came to pay, he says, no, you don't need to pay, just listen to this, thank God instead. That was his way of doing kiruv. So his whole thing was chesed, milat chesed. He was, he was a father of, of kindness. So he's sitting over there, and the third day, God makes the sun so hot, so nobody can bother him, so he could sit and rest. But what does he do? He looks outside. No, he says, I need, I need to find somebody. I need to do chesed. If somebody's whole uh, mentality is doing kindness, he, that's what he wants to do. He wants to do chesed so badly. So he looks, he looks, no one's coming. So God says, you know, we'll send them three malachim, three angels. And the three angels came dressed like Arabs. He sees these three Arabs coming to them. And he says, uh, he runs over to them. He says, you know, come. And he did three things for them. Number one, he baked them cakes. Because he baked them cakes, we got the man. Then he said, he says, here, take some water. Because we, he gave him some water, we got the Be'el Shemelian. And then he says, here, sit under the tree. When it, sit under the shade of the tree. Because we got the shade of the tree, we got the clouds of glory, which is also considered the, the shade. Now, the obvious question is, it'd be like, okay, well, I just told you it's from Abraham, but we said also it's for, um, it's already from, for, you know, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam. So, Rabbi Atakifanga explains this beautifully. He says, there's two aspects that you need for everything. He says, number one is you need to plant the seeds. You need to plant the seeds of something, and then you need the good conditions for success. You need to have everything else that comes after that. There's two aspects for everything. He says, 
you, if you wouldn't have had Avraham, we wouldn't have gotten everything. If you would have had only, you needed both of them together. Avraham was the one who planted this, uh, this, this idea that we're going to get all these things when we come to the desert. Now the obvious question is, is Avraham, he was known for chesed. He did chesed for like, that's his life. Why do these three things, three things stick out more than anything else that he ever did? And the answer is, is that he had so many reasons and so many excuses not to be out that day. Third day, he was 100 years old, it was hot, he had 101 excuses to stay at home and, uh, you know, sit under the fan, in the shade, and, you know, just rest. But he did it. It, when he, it was so hard for him, he went out and he did it. That, you know when you, when you get the real biggest reward and when, it's gonna, when you're planting seeds for your future generations, each one of you, when you're, when, you know, when you get older, you'll, you're planting, you know when you're planting seeds? When thing is so tough, when something is so hard to do, and you go against all odds and you push it, that's when, that's when it's gonna, you're planting the seeds for the future generations and you don't know when that's gonna sprout. And you don't know when that's gonna come in. When something is so hard, Abraham was so hard at that day to do it. But you know when he got the biggest reward, when he got the biggest, when he planted the strongest seeds, is when it was the toughest. When it's the toughest, that's when he planted it and that's when he, he, he reaped the biggest benefits. Because of that, his children saved was, was through the, um, you know, were able to go through the, 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 um, the desert. Now the obvious question is, is that, uh, we'll end with this thought, is that when somebody, when somebody goes and, um, you know, God's sending the Jews to the, to the, um, to the desert. So obviously, we're gonna need food and we're gonna need water. So we need those two things. That is why, if you realize, it's not called the Chag of the Man, or the Chag of, of, of the Be'er Miriam. It's called the Anane Akavot. You know why? Because food, we need it. The Man, we need it. Water, we need it. We didn't need the Ananiya Kavod. Ananiya Kavod, God gave us. He says, you know what? I love you. Here's, just take this extra thing. I love you so much. That's what we come to, to Sukkot. You know what? We, we say, look, look how much God loves us. He gave us this Ananiya Kavod, even though we didn't really need it. I mean, we, we, we ended up, you know, we used it to the, the full extent of the, of everything. But, but it was like that extra bonus that God just loves you. So let's do a quick recap and we'll finish with this. We came and we said, the, the question we started off is, how is this Chagah Sukkot? How is this supposed to be Chagah Sukkot? And the answer is, it's Chagah Sukkot for more than one reason. Number one, from the physical side. From the physical side, you realize that this life is temporary. You go into your, te- your temporary dwelling place. When you realize life is temporary, you're ready, you're not sweating the small stuff. You're not smelling the small stuff, you're living a happier life. Now let's go flip on the other side, the spiritual side. The spiritual side is that we have the Torah. 613, that's crazy, it's so hard to be a Jew. But you think about it, okay, wait, we just had Yom Kippur. Even though it's so hard and you mess up, you could still fix yourself. When you could still fix yourself, you could still come back and you could still do you could still, uh, you could, you could still become that, that one of, a full part of it. So you have here the simcha from both ends, from the spiritual and from the physical. And then what does unity have to do with anything? Unity, if you want real happiness, the real, real happiness that you have is only by you being, by you being happy for somebody else. Just like Aaron, which was the whole essence of Anani Akavot came because of Aaron. Aaron. So because of him, because of the unity, that's why we have the simcha, uh, there's man simchatenu. Man simchatenu is because of Aaron, because of the Anani Akavot. And it happens to be, it's also right after Yom Kippur. And everything works in. We're so happy. We just, we did the kapara of the Avon. And the, and the chet and the pesha, we, we got forgiven for those three things. That's why we have the three things for the for the zman uh, for the zman simchatino of Chag Sukkot. And Bezal Hashem, this holiday should be an amazing, amazing happiness for everybody. Should have a happiness up that you've never been happy in your whole life. And Bezal Hashem, you should also know it's a very interesting thing: is the amount of happiness that you can muster in this. You're sort of building a tank of reservoir of happiness for the rest of the year. The amount of happiness that you bring on Sukkot is going to, uh, you know, uh, um, sail you through to the rest of the year. So Bezal Hashem, you should have an utmost. Chag zman simchatenu, and you should have an unbelievable uh, of happiness this entire time, and b'zal Hashem for the rest of your lives as well. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.